This is the John Oakley Show podcast. All right, here we go. Topics worthy of discussion for Pizzaville, pound 3636. And we've got all kinds of interesting things to address with our panel. David Wills, the Senior Vice President of Media Profile. That's a leading Toronto public relations firm. How's David? David is great. Happy to be here, John. Good to have you here. Uh, Michael Diamond is in, campaign strategist and political commentator with Upstream Strategy Group. How's a diamond man? Thank you for your donation. <laughs> <laughs> All right, don't jump ahead of things here. I still have to introduce our third wheel, Peter Sherman, broadcaster, businessman, and former MPP. The Shermanator in the house. Big wheel until he found out squares don't roll. It's a great day for talk radio. It is. You know, uh, somebody who's not having a good day, hasn't had several of late, Justin Trudeau. We were just talking about that. Here, uh, Diamond uh, tried to insert himself into the equation by saying that, uh, you know, uh, thanks for your donation. You might have heard or seen last night Justin Trudeau in town for a liberal fundraiser, the Laurier Club, at the King Eddie, and there were protesters from the Grassy Narrows Reserve up in northwestern Ontario who've been suffering from uh, poor water supply. With uh, It's been mercury-tainted now for decades because there was a mill upstream, and it uh, seems they're still not getting any satisfaction or redress and they approached the Prime Minister with their complaint. Uh, his basic answer was, Michael Diamond? Thank you for your donation. <laughs> right. $1,500 ahead. Yeah, thanks for coming out and donating. It looked smug. It looked, well, how would you describe it, David Wills? Well, I, I think it really is a signal of a man under a lot of stress and that he cracked. Uh, you know, I don't know what the thought process behind that glib uh, flip remark. It was inappropriate. He did walk it back and apologize today. But I think it is showing that the weight that is being put on him is starting to really, really uh, impact him because that was inappropriate and very, very out of character. Well, was it out of character or is it showing his true colors now that the guards dropped? Uh, let's listen to the apology that he offered earlier today in Halifax. As uh, I think you all know, uh, from time to time, uh, I'm in situations where uh, people are, are uh, you know, expressing concerns or protesting a particular thing. And I always try to be respectful and always try to uh, uh, engage with them in a positive way. That's how I believe uh, democracy should function. And I didn't do that last night. Last night, I lacked respect towards them, and I apologize for that. It is obviously an issue uh, that they uh, feel very, very, take very seriously. And as I now understand, it involved uh, involved their child, possibly. Involved their child, possibly. Uh, yeah, I know. There are serious health consequences to this. It's not a trifling matter. So, Sherman, how did you read it? A day late and a dollar short for that apology. And uh, number one winner on Jackass. You can't do that. You can't do that if you're uh, elected the local town councillor in a place that, that houses 50 people. You certainly can't do that as prime minister. And what we're seeing here is, I think David's right. He's a man under pressure. I understand that. And uh, I, I said earlier today on the air, if you count the number of weeks that are, are going to be active campaign weeks, and you minus July and August when nobody gives a darn uh, what's going on, we've got about 20. And he's got that poll that you were talking about with Daryl Bricker um, from Ipsos, and it's very credible, and I think he's got his own internal polling. So we're seeing, we're seeing him springing a leak. But this is the kind of guy, and this is the kind of time where that is absolutely um, verboten. It, it can't be done. And, uh, and I think it's pointing to problems for him that if you'd asked me three months ago, I would have said, I think he's going to find his way. Uh, but I, at this point, I'm wondering, 
Well, all right. You know, I mean, women and natives, natives and women. Uh, it seems like these are two hot buttons right now uh, that are blowing up in the dude because uh, he really they in court, according to Daryl Bricker as well, women have now abandoned the guy, uh, but that put him over the top in 2015. And I mean, you know, there's a lot of signaling that people read into this. I mean, uh, Michael Diamond, you're a campaign strategist. Uh, does somebody take him aside and read him the riot act? How do you straighten this out? Look, I, I actually do think, and this is going to sound over the top and ridiculous, but I think the best thing he could do for his party is to leave the leadership because it's, it's it, the brand is done. People have looked at him. They've seen he's not who he told us he was and in the last election. Canada's not back. We're not more respected on the world stage because of him. He doesn't have a different way of doing things. It's more the same politics as usual with half the competence. Like th- this isn't an improvement. I think Canadians are finally cluing in on that. We're, we're very close to an election. Uh, I, I, Justin Trudeau, please do not resign the leadership of your party. I, I really want Andrew <laughs> here to face you, but uh, uh, he's irrevocable damage to the brand. This was never going to be SNC or this event last night. It's that uh, he's not who he has sold himself as being. Well, and then there's the other ominous cloud on the horizon, the Mark Norman case, you know, and that could still be played out, uh, you know, a little later on. So these things drip, drip, drip. Uh, David Wills, I mean, when he talks, Diamond talks about it being irreconcilable. You believe that? I'm, I, I, I'm not going quite that far, but I will agree with Michael that there is... Um, you know, at the very least, disappointment from people who came out to support last time. It seems that it's not what they lined up for. So I think there's a lot of work that has to be done there. I think on the Mark Norman part, you know, I think that that's a story that has yet to really unfold. Um, Scott Bryson will get blamed for that one too, right? So that's, uh, I don't know whether Michael's going to be pushing for Bryson to, to run for leader. I'm, I'm waiting for his Keep uh, Bryson comments. Keep around. Yeah, that's... <laughs> You maybe, know what's maybe interesting about all, uh, you know what's interesting about all this uh, as you look at uh, they call them scandals I'm not sure that SNC is really a scandal I've been saying that for weeks I'm not sure um, that uh, anything else that's come along the the, the choice uh, for for Supreme Court judge just Chief Justice I don't think that's scandalous I think what's scandalous and what people are cluing into is how it was handled from the top and you're right Michael Diamond what women really mean and what indigenous people really mean. They're uh, something on which he can, uh, I guess a pair of rails on which he could ride, and people have realized that that uh, essentially the wheels have come off. Well, yeah, when you talk about the Joyelle thing, uh, this is the judge out in Manitoba that Jody Wilson-Raybould ostensibly wanted to elevate to the Supreme Court, perhaps as a chief justice. That stuff's supposed to be confidential. We don't have an open vetting system like they do in the States, thank goodness. Uh, but it's now been seeded through anonymous sources, I guess. Uh, maybe the liberals would have been uh, leaked from their quarter, no doubt. Uh, who else? Uh, to discredit her. And so that kind of a campaign campaign seems rather sordid and unseemly. And, you know, as people are starting to notice, I I think it's uh, all going to do reputational damage to the guy. I mean, can he remediate it? Uh, that's kind of where my question was going. But uh, when you're going after natives or being actually flippant with them, too, it's just public perception. You know, the way he's treating people, uh, I think that's the damage. I wanted to uh, change the course slightly, there's another matter that has to do with natives and showing respect and so on and so forth up in Richmond Hill. 
Uh, we had the city councilor on in the first hour. He had tabled a motion last night to recognize it's a way of uh, acknowledgement, land acknowledgement, that the uh, natives had first, you know, inhabited that space where they're now situated and holding their council meetings or the town of Richmond Hill proper. It was defeated. Uh, and some councilors, the, despite there being a lot of people in the gallery who were upset by that, uh, and the council even called it a shameful moment. Michael Diamond, is there anything significant in these types of acknowledgements? Uh, should they be upheld? Is it a, a sign of uh, just politeness, if nothing else? No, I, I don't really care about these acknowledgements. I think the fact that we have places in Canada uh, like uh, Grassy Narrows where there is tainted drinking water is what's problematic. And uh, window dressing and, and uh, land acknowledgements uh, do not make up for deplorable, deplorable living conditions and deplorable lack of action by the uh, federal government. So let's actually focus on the real things and not have flowery language to try and make ourselves feel better. This is about those saying the uh, acknowledgement, not about those who are aggrieved. All right. Does it have any merit or is it mere tokenism then, David? It, it has absolute merit. And I don't think it's a matter of one or the other. I think we all agree that we have an obligation to clean up grassy narrows. I think that's, uh, I don't think there's any political di- uh, you know, division on that. I think it's something that has to be done. With the land acknowledgements, this is part of the reconciliation process that's gone on. You know, I got two kids in high school that are taking history. They're learning dra- dramatically different history than I learned, especially on uh, the way that we treated uh, First Nations in this country. I didn't get any of that. They're, now it's much more honest. It's not. It's a little bit brutal about the treatment of it. I think these acknowledgements don't take any energy. They don't take any money. It just shows respect, and I think it's easy to do, and I think it's a Canadian value, and we should be doing it. All right, and so if it's rather benign, uh, no harm, no foul, or Peter Sherman, do you think there's maybe uh, a case that this would imply ownership or somebody might get out over their skis and uh, start acceding to certain wishes, you know, made by, or, you know, demands made by certain bands because... Well, I would hope not, and I would think not. Uh, However, I find myself uh, between these two gentlemen. On the one hand, there's no question that it's a good thing that curriculum has changed and how we talk Mm -hmm. to our kids about what this land was about has changed and is continuing to change. Uh, However, I also think we've become a people that does nothing but turn in one direction or the other and say, I'm sorry. And after a while, it it rings hollow. Let's remember that Canada, like the United States, and the more, let's say, modern Western nations are countries that are inhabited by people who came from somewhere and they came from somewhere that they didn't want to stay in so they they came here did did they do a great job of dealing with the people who were already here who by the way had been 10,000 year ago immigrants themselves answer no have we acknowledged it i think significantly if somebody in richmond hill wanted to put for example a plaque up in a significant spot city hall or maybe a place or places that uh, were held uh, in high esteem for some reason by First Nations, that's fine. But starting every council meeting with acknowledging uh, the fact that we're we're here on this land that was once owned by uh, this particular First Nation or that one, come on, let's stop this already. I don't want to be apologized to, and I don't want to do any more apologizing. Yeah, just to correct, it wasn't land owned by. These were nomadic people. It was inhabited. Well, inhabited by, and even then, it's questionable. Historically, uh, sometimes, you know, there are precedents where uh, these folks weren't the original inhabitants. They just, the land it, was taken well, in it's war. It's also just, an, it's an acknowledgement, not an apology, and I think that's the, the difference. Uh, I'll take Peter's point that we, you know, this government especially seems to apologize for a lot of things, and it after a while, they, they seem less meaningful because of the volume. But I think this show of respect and the acknowledgement, that's all it is, and I think that it's a good thing. 
You see, I think you'd see someone like Kathleen Wynne tell you that they have a great record on these issues and that that great record can be summarized in giving an acknowledgement at every speech and every event that she was at. But I actually would have loved to see it in real action. And that would have been that would have been her great record, not saying a few words before her speech. Let's come back. Uh, more topics worthy of discussion with our panel, Michael Diamond, Peter Sherman and David Wills on The Oakley Show, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Back into a topics worthy of discussion for Pizzaville, pound 3636, with our panel, David Wills, Michael Diamond, and Peter Sherman. Sherman, you and I both lived in Quebec, so we know it's a, a different set of rules there uh, or a different sentiment when it comes to, uh, you know, uh, the way they see things. Now they've got a new government, the Coalition Avenir, uh, who are proposing a new law. It's going to prohibit public workers in positions of authority from wearing religious symbols such as a hijab, kippah, or turban, and I'm assuming yarmulkes and crucifixes around the neck as well. Uh, do you think they're going in the right direction here? No, I think they're out of their minds. Uh, by the way, the uh, the party is known in Quebec as the CAC. Right. C-A-Q. So right. that's what they call them. I don't know if there's any particular reference to anything, but that's what they call them. They call, that, <laughs> they call themselves that. Right. But, but what's bothering me about that particular law is here's a, a government that's in power for less time than the one we've got in Ontario. I think um, the, the, Legault was elected premier along with that government six, seven months ago. Michael, you can help with that. I think it was a year ago. Well, somewhere in there. Yep. And one of the first things they want to do is that. But then, uh, as if to um, suggest that there are exceptions from it, and I've been reading about this as it goes on, um, the crucifix that has been up in the Quebec National Assembly... Since 36. That, yeah. Yep. It's staying because, uh, because no, of what they no, call... No, they've uh, actually... Uh, they back, have they walked that back? Legault said, yeah, they're moving it. Okay. And there are also crucifixes that uh, have been in on the walls in buildings that used to be part of the Catholic school commissions, which no longer exists. I don't know if they're walking that back. The point is they don't seem to know what they want. And I, I believe that unless you're dealing with something that is getting in my face and getting in my way, um, ruling it unlawful doesn't make any sense. A religious Jew wearing a yarmulke or kippah, as they're called, or a, a Catholic a young woman who wants to wear a crucifix around her neck, or guy for that matter, um, is hurting absolutely nobody. And I don't understand the need for for taking it out. Now, if if the explanation is, well, we can't take out the burqas, which are full body covering, uh, if we don't take out the rest of the stuff, uh, if that's the explanation, that doesn't make any sense either. So, So for me, it's a great big no. Well, okay, because, you know, they're trying to emphatically stamp it as a secular society. In fact, the bill is titled An Act Respecting the Laicity of the State uh, that Ensures a Balance Between the Collective Rights of the Quebec Nation and Human Rights and Freedoms. But that's really the uh, the nub of the question or the uh, the issue here. I mean, individuals who may identify in matters of conscience, David Wills, you know, want to wear a yarmulke or a turban uh, and, you know, in the public sphere... Shouldn't they be allowed to do that? Yeah, and, uh, you know, John, I don't want you to have a stroke here, but I'm going to agree with everything that Peter Sherman just <laughs> said. Oh, my God. Peter, Mark sit, this down, day. sit down. Sit down, Peter. Okay. The, uh, but, you know, I think on this, you know, what we're really talking about here is the politics of division mm. and the worst kind of that. I, and, you know, I think that if if you're offended that somebody wears a crucifix, that's your problem. If you're offended that a woman wears a hijab or a man wears a turban, that's your problem, not theirs. And I think that we should get over that. We should celebrate that people, that, that, that that's their choice and that's what this is. These politics of division are 
they're mean and they are short-sighted. Well, they've gone even a step further, Michael Diamond. They've ensured in the bill that there's a provision to go to the notwithstanding clause, Mm -hmm. which is kind of like, you know, anything that would be contested at the Supreme Court level, where this is headed for a matter of, you know, individual uh, conscience rights, they can uh, just trump it with the indiv- with the uh, notwithstanding clause. Does this make sense to you? Well, right? that's the only way that they'll be able to keep this law intact, because I don't see that uh, any courts would rule in the government's favor on this. Uh, but no, I'm, I'm going to agree with David and Peter. Uh, government should not tell folks what to wear any more than a husband should tell their wife what to wear or vice versa. It's, uh, it's ridiculous. It's crazy. And uh, to say that this is secularism, no, secularism is allowing folks to do what they want. This is the opposite. And there's not a group that I find, you know, a lot of people will uh, bash organized religion. Organized atheism and organized secularism is much more annoying to me. By the way, Sherman, how do they maintain that big cross on Mount Royal? Isn't that coming down anytime soon? I don't know. It it was there when I was born and it was there when we worked there. And and, uh, that's 30 something years ago. That's part of the landscape. Uh, yeah, you remember when the the you're kids from the University of Montreal? Yeah, the University no. of Montreal kids climbed up and they undid some light bulbs and turned the cross into a question mark. I thought that was great, uh, and I don't know that the cross is coming down. Well, I they, guess it's going to have to if this law passes. Maybe that's ironic in and of itself in Quebec. You know, religion now has turned into a big question mark. Yeah. Uh, let's come back. More topics worthy of discussion with our panel: David Wills, Peter Sherman, Michael Diamond on the Oakley Show. Back into the fray with our panel, David Wills, Peter Sherman, Michael Diamond, to the top of the hour. And then it's the Global News at 6 with Farah Nasser and Alan Carter. Right now, I wanted to ask you about something provincially, because uh, a flash went up. It's this uh, subway that's being the TTC uploaded to the province, uh, and the province, I guess, will hope to monetize the air rights around it or whatever, uh, make some sense of it. Uh, but the cost is $25 billion. Michael Diamond, you're close to the goings on there in the uh, in the legislature. I'm just kind of curious now, uh, uploading the TTC to the province are good or a, a bad thing? And uh, in whose hands are we more apt to see a more coherent transit plan executed in a timely fashion, i.e. the rest of our lifetime? Well, I, I think this is actually a, has potential to be a very good thing because we need to start looking beyond Toronto proper uh, for subway and other rapid transit. So this will allow a more regional approach, uh, similar to what you see with GO, uh, integrated right into the TTC. So I think it's a good thing. The other thing is that the province uh, can, can do something that the city can't, and they can they can debt finance the construction of the subway. The city of Toronto cannot have debt, uh, so th- there's there's more likelihood that this will actually happen. Well, how come Tory then was uh, kind of on the rope? City councillors were going after him yesterday, and he was saying, "Hey, hang on, just a second. Uh, Monday he had a meeting with the premier. Uh, he says that you know we if it's good for Toronto, we'll discuss it, and you know hopefully we'll come out ahead. But uh, there's a lot of resistance at council." Oh, look, there's a lot of uh, left-wing uh, councillors in downtown Toronto who will oppose absolutely anything that Doug Ford would suggest. Doug Ford could walk on water and they complain, would be complaining he's not swimming. So I wouldn't look at uh, opposition from Gord Perks or Joe Cressy as what's good or bad for Toronto. And I actually think John Tory's done a pretty good job of navigating that. All right. David Wills, you can see it in that same light, can't you? Well, I, <laughs> you know, I love the purity of Michael Diamond. You know, with a left-wing, you would say Doug Ford can't swim. If Joe Cressy cured cancer, Michael Diamond would be here talking about the oncologists that are put out of work, right? <laughs> so, like the, you know, this cuts both ways. Uh, I think that you know the 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 part you know that it's a comp, tra- transit's complex. So uploading the subway is one thing, but the subway is one component. Most of the transit rides are on a bus, and they connect with streetcars and they connect with subways. So it's the devil's going to be in the detail. 
if Michael's right that, yeah, the province can put more bucks into it, that's good. But they can fund it now. They can do that without owning it now. So the devil is in the detail here because if it's just about expanding it out into the suburbs, we've already got an overcapacity system on the subway right now that has to be addressed. So we need alternative routes beyond the subway to be able to handle that. But I will agree with Michael that a big regional plan is a great idea. Transit City was a great idea because it moved people around the city, not just to downtown. Uh, I won't get into who cut that, but it's... um, you know, that was a good idea because it, it recognized that not everybody's going down to King and Bay and that you could move around. And I think if that's what they're doing, it's a great idea. But let's see the detail and let's go. All right. And Peter Sherman, do you think, though, uploading to the province because the province has an agenda in part, as I said earlier, you know, to monetize this thing with air rights and, uh, you know, just build hubs around it and they can do it in a more coherent fashion? Well, they've been funding it anyway. I mean, that's that's where the money comes from over a period of years, and I think that's what uh, Michael was alluding to. So uh, in terms of who pays for what, they might as well upload it. That said, the debt financing piece is a big deal, and $25 billion may sound like a lot of money, but if you're talking about taking a Young Street uh, and uh, subway line and extending it and creating capacity, because there are capacity issues in extending it, uh, all the way up to Richmond Hill, uh, that alone is the better part of $5 billion. If you're talking about uh, a standalone line, and I don't know exactly what it looks like, if it's even a, a subway in the traditional sense when they talk about the downtown relief, uh, when you talk about things like, you, we left you guys alone to create a Scarborough line, and you came up with something that we're going to spend billions on, we're going to have one station, and, and we're going to put three in it, I think we're, we're in an area where we should be talking about things and moving in a direction that makes some sense. To broaden the discussion a little bit, I'll tell you that at one time I was part of a committee of some pretty prestigious people, and it included uh, City Hall of the day. Uh, as a matter of fact, one of the counselors involved was a fellow named Doug Ford. And uh, what we were looking at uh, never came to be was something called the Greater Toronto and Hamilton Transportation Authority. And in my view, if you look uh, far enough down the road and at the population estimates uh, for the Greater Golden Horseshoe, one day that's going to have to be something to be considered. David, you wanted to weigh in. Well, I, I think, you know, to lay the the white elephant that is the Scarborough subway extension at the foot of this council is... in. in it's inconceivable. <laughs> that was a Ford-baked idea from the beginning. That that came from, from Rob Ford to replace a 7- or 12-stop LRT that would be in operation today had they not meddled on that. And I agree that that subway extension is ridiculous. I don't know the details on three stops versus one. Uh, I'm hoping that it's three stops going further into Scarborough, but it's expensive. Subways are really expensive well, it gives to some people a chance to get off, David. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's what it's for. Right, right. right. All right. And you, you support SmartTrack, though, don't you? I, I don't understand SmartTrack, oh, okay. like the vast majority of people, including the mayor's office, because mm. it, it, you know, it, it changes all the time. It was supposed to be all of it, like 122 new kilometers, mm. and now it's... Yeah, 22 30, stops down 30 to 6 feet, now. 30 feet or something. What yeah. it should be is the final touch on a uh, regional uh, transit uh, plan, mass transit plan. Uh, SmartTrack would tie everything together, but it's not uh, a downtown relief line by any stretch. I was just going to say as a final word, though, uh, when it comes to uh, matters of money provincially, uh, it's kind of heartening to see that there's a sunshine list and you get to find out who's doing better than you are. <laughs> However, uh, on a serious note, there was a piece in The Sun today. Uh, Brian Lilly wrote about Kathleen Wynne's former chief of staff, Andrew Bevan. You know him at all, Sherman? 
I run across him, I can't say that I'm a friend of his or, or that I know him well. All I right. know I know who he is and what he did. Yeah, uh, this is a former chief of staff of Kathleen Wynne. You know what he yeah. drew in 2018, according to the Sunshine? 552 grand. Yeah, but I, I'm not uh, excusing this in any way. I can guarantee you that a big chunk of that was severance. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, uh, and so uh, we're not dismayed then by that. <laughs> However, well, I'm, I'm dismayed to see the level that he was paid in the first place. I understand that if you want to get good management people into these very serious positions, you got to go and you got to play the market, and the market uh, says that you have to pay big bucks. Fine. When it comes to um, severance at the provincial level, and and I know a little bit about that um, in terms of people, and in terms of myself and how MPPs are treated. Um, it's fairly generous. So when you look at that sunshine list and you look at people who were and and spent, what, all of four months working in, in 2018 and got these big bucks um, settlements, that's what they were. They were settlements. Right, because there's no pension per se, right? Uh, there are pensions for civil servants. There are no pensions for uh, members of parliament. Okay, okay, for members of parliament. This is Mary Rowe, the executive advisor to the premier, uh, she got 428000 out the door. Uh, Sh- Shelley Potter, Kathleen Wynne's deputy chief of staff, planning and administration, uh, went to two hundred eighty-five thousand as she was on her way. So these are potentially people who had been there uh, the entire time that you know the Dalton McGinty, Kathleen Wynne, uh, liberals were in government. So yeah, Peter Peter's right. There's a, a large amount of severance uh, built into these two thousand eighteen numbers for the uh, departing uh, liberal staff. If you want, you know, these are serious jobs in many cases, so they should come with serious uh, salaries. What I'm dismayed by though is that uh, Peter. Sherman or John Oakley are not the co-hosts of the agenda on uh, TVO because that's a salary you guys both deserve. Well, okay. So you want to get me oh, cut you down? At, <laughs> you took a look at what Bacon makes, huh? Let me let me ask though, uh, on a serious note to uh, David Wills. Then, I mean, is there any point or purpose to the Sunshine List apart from maybe aggravating people and uh, setting up, you know, the politics of envy? The Sunshine List is nothing more than salary porn. Everybody looks at it. I looked at it. I, I'm going to fully admit my my weakness there. It didn't keep up, right? Like It's not a relevant measure year over year because the benchmark stayed the same and yet inflation was not taken into account. So you don't really have an idea of how much it's growing, like in a relevant metric. Um, I don't think there's anybody with the political will to take it away now that it's there or to even fix it. But I think that if they all got together and said, hey, let, what, what's the purpose of this uh, other than gee, if you're not the government in power, you can use this to tee off for a couple of days and then you forget about it. We had these same discussions, you know, after the last federal election, Stephen Harper's staff got a bunch of severance. They were entitled to it. Is it generous? We can have that discussion, but they were entitled to it just as these people were. Um, You know, I know one of those people on the list there and she was there from for a very, very long time. And, um, you know, she's out pounding the streets, as far as I know, looking for another work. So Wow. Uh, so she's walking the streets. That is salary point. Oh, wow. Okay. I, well, I'm going to pull that back because that was inappropriate. No, it wasn't. I mean, you didn't mention any names. <laughs> I, I know. All okay. right. Fair enough, though. Uh, and finally, I've got to ask, because uh, while I've got you here, this is something that's sort of been percolating or festering in uh, the provincial uh, landscape. That's uh, this whole thing with... Uh, Randy Hillier, and whether or not any of his allegations, which he's very short on specifics, but saying until the integrity commissioner looks into it, he can't really speak much more to it. He doesn't want to compromise things. Uh, Will this do any damage to Doug Ford? Michael? Look, these are, I wouldn't even call these allegations or illusions uh, without any specifics. So, I mean, uh, uh, if they're specifics, come out and say them. If not, uh, I'm going to, you know, just 
count them for what they are, which is, uh, you know, smears and uh, attacks. Smears and attacks. I mean, because you couple that with the news this week that Brad Blair, the former deputy commissioner of the OPP, is suing for $5 million on a defamation suit. Uh, I mean, how does that, the optics of this kind of stuff, David Wills, is it uh, damaging to the premier? Well, of course, it's not certainly not positive. I think if we look at Randy Hillier, we should give him a little bit of credit in that he went to an ethics commissioner and he's not arguing it in the press. He's not going out there saying this, this, and this. He filed a complaint and he's letting that process take uh, take course. And, you know, Randy Hilliard's a maverick, always has been. He's been a loose cannon. He was your guy's loose cannon for a long time. <laughs> then, you know, it, it, it always reminds me, look, Bob Ray wrote a book after he uh, decided he no longer wanted to be premier. I think that's how it ended. Mm. And he talked, they asked about Peter Cormos, who was his maverick. Sure. And why he left him in caucus after he booted him. And he said, I thought it'd be better to have him in the tent pissing out and it turned out he was in the tent pissing in. So I think that that may be what, uh, what the Premier is left with with, uh, with this one. Well, by the way, that's what the Prime Minister's got right now. The shooting is inside the tent. And, and it's getting a little deep. You know, and let me just around the horn real fast in the uh, minute or so that I have. Uh, when uh, Lisa Raitt was on with me earlier in the week, she submitted that by sometime next week, uh, it seems like uh, her take is the caucus would actually kick Jody Wilson-Raybould and Jane Philpott out. I mean, how would that play? Uh, certainly, I mean, if they're trying to say Justin Trudeau is at arm's length and this is really just a, a caucus coup of sorts, David, how do you see it? Well, I think if that's true, there's two things. That First of all, the, the prime minister would have to take responsibility for it. They're not going to kick somebody out without his blessing. And number two, if I think they actually did it, I think other members of that caucus would resign. I don't think they are that tight. I don't think they are that... Uh, loyal to to this and i think if they if they decided to hive those two off that others would follow them and that would be real damage uh to that brand i think any increased uh, instability is probably a huge risk for them they should frankly get rid of those two but uh, and it sounds like a lot of the caucus members like judy scrow would support that but i think david's right uh you know they'd be opening up a pandora box this is a real red letter day because I'm agreeing with David, and, and that's that's two times that we have this, and and it's never happened before. But I, I think you're totally right, David, and I and I think that um, if you take a look at the polling that's been released today and uh, the the numbers that uh, Justin Trudeau is uh, garnering and this apology nonsense from last night, this would be. I can't call it the straw that broke the camel's back, but I think that internally and externally, it would be a PR disaster for them. Boy, I don't want to leave on uh, total agreement, but we're out of time, so I have to. Uh, we'll have to continue this, and next time, ratchet up the resentment. Uh, thank you all for weighing in, David Wills, Peter Sherman, and Michael Diamond. We'll do it again next week. Uh, we're going to say sayonara. Thank you all for making it a great day for Talk Radio. To Dusty Lawless, Jackie Lamport, and you, we're back tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio.